1: Um, I've got on here to say, good morning, Balam. good morning, Battersea, and I thought it sounded a bit like um, the Eurovision Song Contest. (sighs) Um, And good morning to those of you joining us online in Bucharest or Vienna, who knows. We're here this morning to conclude our series on worship and to talk about what it means to worship together and why that matters. Um, This is the last in our series on worship, and if you've missed any of the previous talks by SP, by Julia, or by Kenny, can I commend them to you, because they inform so much of what I have to say today. We're going to jump into the Bible in a minute, so if you want to pull up your apps or try and find something in paper, uh, get ready to do that. But first, I'm going to tell you a little bit about why worship matters so much to me. I grew up in a church not really very much like this one, but I learned to play the guitar in my bedroom and practiced one worship song at a time until I came across a chord I didn't know, and then I'd learn that one and then learn a new song. And uh, I led kids in worship, I led small groups in worship, I led gatherings like this in worship, and uh, sometimes I'd lead worship on the streets, and I've also even led worship in Albania. Anyone else done that? No. (laughs) I met my husband, Paul, at a vineyard church where he was a worship leader too. We led worship together in bands, and then we led bands together, and then we led whole worship teams. We've both been part of the vineyard movement for almost 30 years. Um, This church is part of the vineyard movement, if you weren't quite aware of that. Um, And worship has always been a huge priority for us. In the early days of the vineyard movement back in the 70s, which of course I've only read about, many of the worship leaders were either professional musicians or they were kids just like me picking up the guitar. But it was always about character over gifting. The quality of the music was high, but the point was that it was always simple and accessible. It was always intimate and expectant. And the rest of church was like that too, which was new for me. What I first saw when I came across the vineyard was the supernatural power of God expressed in a really natural way within reach of anyone who came through the door. We learned about singing songs to Jesus and not just about Jesus. We learned how to pray for one another and how to hear God. We learned how to engage with our bodies as well as our minds. And we learned how to recognize and respond to the kingdom of God in our midst with acts of love and power. For all its flaws, I love being a part of this bit of the body of Christ. You might not know, but there are actually two and a half thousand vineyard churches like this one around the world in 90 different countries. Um, I love to hear stories particularly of a lady called Elba Dolan who leads uh, the vineyard in Brazil. She was a poor teenager working as a maid for a Canadian missionary family when she first became a part of the Vineyard Movement. And now she oversees the entire region, from churches in the most remote villages along the Amazon River to some in some of our largest urban cities. And even in this month in America, they're handing over the leadership from one generation to the next, reflecting a visibly more diverse direction, which I'm really excited about. In the UK, there are 120 vineyard churches, large and small, and I love how James and Lauren have led our worship community here so far, and I'm really thrilled to see SP, who is our new worship pastor, pick up the baton and lead us on from here. When SP started this series on worship, one of the things he talked about was being resilient worshippers in a worshipping community that worships in all circumstances, and that really captures something of what I want to talk about today. But let's also keep in mind what Stephen and Viv have been reminding us of since the beginning of September, that God is in the transformation business and we get to join in. So if you've got your Bibles ready, let's turn to Acts 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship Now, on the face of it, this passage has very little to say about worship, but it does describe the early church, even though they might not have called themselves that back then. And it also describes the kind of worshipping community that we're going to look at this morning. First the worship, though, then the community. Let's remind ourselves of some of the things we've talked about worship over the last few weeks. Worship comes in two parts, really, doesn't it? You've got this obvious part, which is our uh, external um, adoration towards God, normally in song or um, music. But it also describes what we do with our everyday lives. The Bible talks about worship as our everyday act of service, which is how we serve God and those around us. We've heard some great definitions of worship, in particular in what's called the Westminster Catechism, Worship is defined as our chief end, our telos, our purpose, our goal. It proposes that glorifying God and enjoying him forever is where we find true fulfillment, displacing our own self-centeredness with a God-centeredness, so that I no longer dominate my own little world alone. Eugene Peterson, an incredible pastor for many years, describes it in another way. Next. Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. It's the time and place that we assign for deliberate attentiveness to God, because our self-importance is so insidiously relentless that if we don't deliberately interrupt ourselves regularly, we have no chance of attending to him at all at other times or in other places. Yeah, should we just take a breath? On the one hand, we are natural worshippers. We are always seeking out something bigger than ourselves to find meaning and identity and belonging. But so often we settle for something man-made which leaves us feeling unfulfilled and hollow. Following someone or something that we've created leaves us feeling empty and alone. It's as though our cry goes out into the universe, but it comes back without a response. It's as though all we hear is the sound of our own voice. But in deliberately turning our attention towards the one thing in the universe that is uncreated and that is unconditional love, we find ourselves seen and heard, recognized and responded to as though someone has been waiting to hear our voice. That kind of worship is an interruption to the hyper-individualistic, striving, consumeristic mentality that is all around us. It is an intentional turning away from that to another To be reordered and reorientated towards someone who is immovable, unchanging, all-loving, all-powerful and transformative, which is what we all so desperately need. Archbishop Temple's definition of what worship does that Kenny shared with us last week tells us that to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God. It feeds the mind with the truth of God. It purges our imagination with the beauty of God. It opens our hearts to the love of God, and it helps us to devote our wills to the purpose of God. Now, the challenge is that most of us can experience that and cultivate that by ourselves in our room if we try hard enough. You don't even have to be musical. I think dear old Archbishop Temple would have had no idea of the smorgasbord of worship resources, if we dare call them that, that are available to us today. YouTube is full of beautiful people against beautiful backdrops singing beautiful songs. So, why do I need you? It's pleasant as you all are. Why does it matter that we interrupt our busy lives to create a time and place to assign deliberate attentiveness to God, to come together in the flesh, as it were, to worship? By Tuesday morning, perhaps even Monday lunchtime, this can seem so irrelevant but nothing could be more relevant. Not only are we made, we're wired for worship, longing for something bigger than ourselves, to devote ourselves to and to provide meaning for our lives. We are wired for each other. We're wired for connection, for relationship, for collaboration and interdependence. I can do this on my own. We are encouraged in our faith to seek silence and solitude to deepen and enrich our faith. But like breathing in and breathing out, we also need to come together. I don't need this to meet with God. And we all need to learn how to lead ourselves in worship. But there is something about time and place, flesh and blood, interaction and connection that we also need that meets a deep hunger in us. We are social beings. We're made for give and take. We're made to receive and to serve, to affirm one another and hear one another's affirmation, to learn and to teach, to lead and to follow, and to play our part in something bigger than ourselves. And something happens when we do this together. Something that reinforces that transforming power of worship, not just for us, but for the sake of those still calling out into the darkness, listening to the sound of their own voices. In this part of the body of Christ, in the vineyard, we seek to connect with God and with each other in a way that reflects our values. It might seem as though this whole thing just gets thrown together every Sunday. We like to do informal. But the way we worship is actually rooted in something much deeper. And we have five values that reflect this. Accessibility, intimacy, expectation, passion, and integrity. And we're going to look at each one of these in light of the passage that we read earlier. First, accessibility. We've all been to events at work or at church, maybe at a conference or something like that, when you don't know what to do. I mean, it's even worse when you're on a Zoom call and the camera's on you and you, you, know, you can't find the mute or the hands up or the clap or the, whatever it is. It's embarrassing. Sometimes when we don't know where to sit or where to stand, we don't know where the toilets are, and uh, we don't even know which table to sit at. I love that at V61, at Balaam, we literally worship with the door open. We believe that the kingdom of God is here, now, and we want to steward that well so that we can get out of the way and allow people to encounter with God for themselves. We have boundaries about the way that we worship. They create safe spaces, free from distraction and interruption. But we're here to remove any barriers to those coming towards God. Everyone is welcome. Everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to join in. You don't have to pray in a particular way. You don't even have to believe. Our songs are simple and repetitive, sometimes more than others. And our songs try to be musically intuitive. We choose our worship teams for their character, not their gifting. Sorry about that, Adam. But, sorry, sorry, I've got a but. Sorry about that. There's a but here, but we have some wonderfully skillful, i sorry, I missed that line, wonderfully skillful, sensitive, Jesus-loving, servant-hearted women and men who are committed to leading us into God's presence in all of our gatherings. We see this in Acts 2. This was a church for everyone. Whether they were at the temple or in their homes, they had an open door policy of their own. I mean, the Lord was adding to their number daily. They didn't have a chance to get fixed up and cleaned. They came as they were. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Their theology might not have been straight. They might not have been wearing the right clothes or known when to sit or stand. But the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, whether they were in the formal setting of the temple or the informal settings of their homes. As worshipping communities, we are inviting people to enter into God's presence. To do that, we are intentional about bringing people with us on a journey of worship by opening up the way both musically and pastorally so that we can create environments for people to participate in worship and encounter the presence of God for themselves. Another of our values is intimacy. Intimacy with God is the primary destination for us as we worship. We draw near to God because he has drawn near to us. He is a God who made himself known, and he wants to know us, and for us to know one another. Intimacy is one of those words that I think some cultures find easier than others. I think us Brits don't find this one particularly easy. It implies a level of exposure I think we'd rather leave at the door. But whatever our culture, we all have this deep-seated desire to be known, And much of what we facilitate here at V61 is about being known, being able to come to worship, let down our guard, and approach God's presence with all that we are, whether we're in small groups or large groups, in service teams or on Sundays, where you can be known by those around you so that we're not just holding ourselves or each other at arm's length, but we're learning who and how to trust, that we're learning how and when to share, And we're learning where and when to support each other. Because that's the fruit of a worshipping community. Again, we see in Acts 2, closeness, proximity, togetherness, sharing, openness, and engagement. This was a healthy, relational community with good boundaries, but a willingness to be known. Intimacy isn't a particular style of worship or interaction. It is the posture of our hearts as we cultivate a deeper connection with God and with each other. Another of our values is expectation. Let me explain what I mean by that. Sometimes I think we come to worship as though it's one of those one-way windows. You know the detective or spy stories where you've got a reflective glass. And uh, there's a mirror on one side, but on the other side you can see into the room. I think sometimes we come to worship as though we're just staring in a mirror. All we can see is ourselves and our circumstances reflected back to us. Now, this is not a bad place to face that, to be in God's presence. But that's, that's not where it ends. What we don't realize is that God is on the other side of that mirror and that he can see us. We're not alone. And so we come into this place expectant that we will meet with him and that we will encounter his kingdom of love and power. When we look at Acts again, we see expectation and engagement with each other and with the presence of God. Miracles of healing and of generosity were happening every day. How could you not be expectant? The kingdom of God was all around them, very real as he provided for their needs and they provided for one another. When we worship, we cultivate this expectation that God will speak to us, that God will heal, that he will deliver, that he will perform miracles among us. And often we share stories to remind ourselves of that, even for us, when it doesn't seem as though God is doing that in our lives. We're reminded that God is always on the move with someone. We experience in part what we will ultimately know in full, the full restoration in his kingdom. Another of our values is passion, perhaps another awkward word for us Brits. But we're all passionate about something, right? And passion has more to do with motivation, mission, and purpose than a fleeting half an hour of exuberant praise. Passion is this expression of the fire in our hearts for God. As we worship, we not only affirm our love for him, but we learn to love what he loves, as he displaces our affection for temporary things with the love and the peace and the joy of his kingdom. We learn to exchange the sometimes fearful and negative driving forces in our lives for the loving, life-giving ones that carry us through every season. In Acts, we read of the devotion, the action, the reorientation around worship and service towards God and each other. They were full of God's spirit. They'd received a new energy for a new kind of life. We are called to a new kind of life, but God doesn't leave us gasping for air, for oxygen. For this new kind of life, he gives us a new kind of energy, which is his spirit, which we carry with us wherever we go, but we particularly encounter in the midst of worship. Whether we are in a season of joyful celebration or a time of deep sorrow, we can be real about what is going on in our lives because worship and community provide a different context for us for a different kind of life. We become inwardly sustained and outwardly focused by being in God's presence and filled with his spirit. As worshipping communities, our passion is permanent even though it's expressed in many different ways in many different times we can always, in some way, engage with what God is doing in us, around us, and in our community. The fifth value I'd like to talk about is integrity, and I'm going to share a short video on this in a moment, just to break things up a little bit. Our desire is that the songs that we sing would match the lives that we lead. While we value the form that our worship takes, we place an even greater value on the formation of our community, We believe that the gathered times of worship are powerful places of transformation. We enter God's presence not as we think we should be, but we come as we are. And yet we don't remain as we are. Little by little, in every part of our lives, we become increasingly like Jesus. Integrity lies at the heart of why we worship together. It's not just about honesty or authenticity, although that's part of it, but it's about wholeness. It's that sense that we show up as our whole selves, as a whole community, because we are participating in what God is doing together. Here's a short little video. There's a guy called Jesse Dooley. He oversees worship training for Vineyard Churches in the UK, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about integrity.
0: Worshiping with integrity means that we come as we are, with all that we are. We are thinking beings, but we're also feeling beings. We're spiritual, but we're also physical. And so often we relegate our faith life to the realm of spirit and intellect, but we neglect the realm of body and emotion. But to worship with integrity means to be complete and authentic before God. We're to bring our real selves and our whole selves into The presence of God as we worship. And when we do that, we can expect to see transformation. We come as we are, but we don't stay as we are. God loves us completely already, but he also loves us too much to leave us unchanged. Integrity therefore encompasses both the gritty reality of who we are right now and the glorious reality into which we are being formed. In the Old Testament, we see Moses coming out of God's presence with a veil over his face, because even the afterglow of God's glory was too much for the people to behold. But Paul tells us that now, in Jesus, we can all behold God's glory with unveiled faces. And as we do, we ourselves are transformed bit by bit, into the image of God. Isaiah tells us that in the time of God's favour, which Jesus announced as having come, God gives us a crown in place of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of our spirit of despair. Ruins will be repaired, and we're to be called priests and ministers of our God, oaks of righteousness who display the splendour of our Lord. It is a beautiful transformation that we're invited to undergo. But it starts with us approaching God with unveiled faces. That means we come as we are, with all of our brokenness. We come with our broken minds, our frail bodies, our chaotic emotions and our weakened spirits. And we trade them. For what God has for us instead. Now there's another crucial aspect of integrity that I've not yet mentioned and that's our relationships with one another. As individuals we're members of a body and it's only as a body with Christ at our head that we can know true wholeness. And as we bring our individual selves to God in worship we also submit our communal self, that is we submit as one body. God takes our individual brokenness and he transforms it and at the same time he takes our dysfunctional relationships with one another and he heals them so that as a body we can give glory to God through the true worship that is enacting justice and mercy to each other and the world around us. So, as we worship, let's come to Him as we are, complete as minds, bodies, spirits, emotions, and our relationships, so that we may leave with a greater vision of how much more we're being made to be for the glory of God.
1: You're right. You're right. We were made for worship. I think uh, if you've been around over the last few weeks, hopefully that's something that, if you weren't already aware of, is beginning to sink in. We were made for worship. And in a twist of wonderful irony, the only object that is worthy of our worship is a loving and powerful God who gave himself sacrificially for us and is the only one who doesn't need our worship for his own gratification or fulfillment. Because he loves us so unconditionally first, Our souls find rest in him. But he also made us for one another. And here we find another gloriously ironic truth. No matter how much we need each other, we are all too often afraid of one another. We want to be seen and known, but we are afraid of it too. And that's okay. It's called vulnerability. On top of that, our culture encourages us to present our best selves and to avoid any discomfort or inconvenience that we might be presented with otherwise. Because of that, we would rather present the most desirable version of ourselves. And it's all too easy to sort of curate this personality online or in the office or wherever which will appease the people around us. The problem is when we turn up at church like that and we expect a frictionless experience at a time and setting of our own convenience without the messiness of our lives or anybody else's getting in the way. But that's not church and it's not how life was made to be lived. This community here is, this community is here to learn how to follow Jesus together. We're all wandering around with L plates on our backs. I hope you realize that. We're here to trip each other up sometimes and apologize for that, to deal with each other's observed dysfunctions as well as our own and have to share our stuff literally and metaphorically with each other. But the call to worship is now. It is sometimes convenient, inconvenient. It is often an interruption, but the inv- it is always an invitation. Come, now is the time to worship. We've looked at one description of the early church, which also had to deal with division and differences and disasters, just like us. But as we dig further into the New Testament and even into church history, we see that despite the changing world around them, gathering together in worship and prayer kept this community fixed on Jesus. That acts of sacrifice and service kept this community turned towards the needs of those around them. And that power and purpose kept them reaching outwards, expectant of God's intervention. And that rooting themselves in the lives and teaching of Jesus meant they were unsurprised by the hardship that came their way. And when it came to difference and divisiveness, no one was to be left outside the door. Now whether they lived up to that or not, and many didn't and still don't and neither do we, they were called to love their enemies just like we are. Knowing that they had been far from God, we had been far from God, but now we are called together the people of God. Across the world today, and on every day, there are communities just like this, just like ours. Along the street, just behind us here, along the Amazon River, there are people learning to love God and one another together We are a worshipping community with God at the centre, learning how to follow him alongside one another, encountering his presence and sharing this experience with those we meet. We are an alternate community, one that offers something that so many are looking for, a place of welcome, a place of belonging, a place of participation and a place of transformation. Whoever you are, however you got here. We are a loving and powerful community. We are worshippers of God. We are followers of Jesus. We are filled by the Holy Spirit. And we are caught up in an ancient story that matters as much now as when it first began. Shall we stand? It's good to know the presence of God is in our midst. It would be pretty boring if we turned up and he wasn't here. So whether you're here in Balaam or in Battersea, let's just acknowledge God's presence in our midst. Whether for you that involves closing your eyes and sticking out your hands, kneeling, lying, standing at the back, coming to the front, however you want to respond to that. That's one of the things we do in the vineyard. We don't just pack up and go home at this point. We give you the opportunity for you to respond to what you've just heard. I trust that my words didn't go over your head but that something that I've said will have landed with you somewhere or at the very least, God will have reminded you of something else that he spoke to you last week, last month, whenever. But God is speaking to you this morning. It might feel like your heart is beating faster, your eyelids are fluttering, your hands have got sweaty or somebody else has come to mind. So I just encourage you right now, whether you're here, in your kitchen, whether you're in Battersea, Just take a moment and allow God's voice to get louder to you. Allow his presence to become clearer to you. Lord, we welcome your presence. We know that you are here. We don't know what it is we pray when we pray, come Lord, because we know you're already here. But we ask for more of you. I I think what's happening is that we're making more room for you because we're turning our attention to you. We're handing our stuff over to you. And so we welcome you, whatever we look like, however we identify, whatever we've been through this week, whatever we're facing. In Battersea, here in Balaam, in our homes, come, increase your presence. Open our eyes and our ears to you. Open our hearts to you, Lord. It's not unusual for you to have a physical reaction to God. We get butterflies in our stomach when we're nervous. Our heart flips over when we see someone we love. It's not surprising that the presence of God would make you feel something in your body. Lord, we welcome you. We welcome you. If um, Sophie and Joel would like to bring the band back up here and in Battersea, we're just going to keep waiting on the Lord. I had a sense this morning that God wanted to remind so many of you of His love. We've talked about brokenness and coming as you are a lot this morning, and I'm guessing that's on God's heart too for us. Our worship is not a performance, our worship is about His presence, and His presence is here. And for those of you who have need, we create space at the front so that you can take a step forward and you can find space up here to be on your own before the cross so someone can come and pray for you. But you can do that just as well where you are. I think as we've been talking about community and togetherness this morning, it would be really good to pray for each other. One of the reasons we get you to come out is so that we can more clearly identify who's in need and we can get those of us who know how to pray to come and pray for them. So if during the worship you want to come forward, you want to respond in that way, that's fantastic. There's lots of space up here. If you want to stay right where you are, stick out your hands, raise a hand, sit and sob, that's entirely up to you. One of the things we acknowledge, it's this week I could be up here sobbing, you could be praying for me, next week you could be up here sobbing and I could be praying for you. That's how it works here. I want to encourage those of you who have need to ask that's one thing of being in community, that we would ask when we have need. So if there's someone you, you can identify your need to, whether that's for prayer, whether that's for finance, whether that's some other kind of help, we might, we're not trying to fix anyone here, but we might be able to point you in the right direction. So be brave. Ask for your needs to be met. Ask for someone to stand alongside you in prayer. For others of us that don't need prayer this morning, that don't feel like we have needs, let's give. Let's find someone that we can stand alongside. Let's find someone that we can love. If you don't know how to pray for someone, find somebody who does. But I tell you, all you need to do, find someone of the same sex, put your hand on their shoulder and bless what God is doing. God is doing this. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to have a word. You don't have to wait for the Spirit to come. You can just put your hand if you see someone what does it look like when God is working on someone we might see someone tremble a little bit we might see their eyelids flutter we might see them cry you might see something that you can't describe they seem kind of light they might seem kind of heavy we're looking we're trying to see what God is doing we're trying to join in with it put our hand to it and lovingly bless and encourage that person and if we can, we want to try and listen for what God is saying, for what God might, is, might be saying, and speak that to them gently. No, thus saith the Lord. Just, I think, I think God's given me a picture for you. So let's worship. And if you have need, come and make your need known. We have people who would love to stand alongside you. But let's welcome the presence of God. Let's honor each other, and let's be a worshiping community.